Good morning, all. Uh, my name's Adriel, and I'm a member of this congregation as student minister here. And I hope you've had a really good morning. I, I can't think of a better start than uh, getting to dance with Don Kesby during, during the kids' spot. That really made my day. Uh, and his, maybe. Who, who knows? Uh, we're, we're in our series on uh, respectable sins and neglected virtues. And today's topic is the tongue. Uh, if you're following along on the handout, uh, it'd be good to have that open as well as keep James open for this first bit. But you'll see that I've called the intro Say Ah, which uh, I, think is, I think is technically more for when the doctor's checking your throat. You know, they put that little wooden funny-tasting paddle on. Um, but I thought it was a nice visual image just to have us thinking about doing a, a tongue examination. And I wonder, where would, where would you begin in an examination of the tongue? Because there are so many angles you could entertain, right? And, and despite this being such a, a little mu muscle slash organ in our mouths, there's a whole world of scripture that we could look at. Uh, so let's have a look at that scripture, and let's start by, by praying, shall we? Father, we are, we are grateful for the power of speech that you give us. And as we listen to your speech in scripture, please instruct us in how we should speak. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tongues are, they are weird little things, aren't they? Uh, they? They are not classed as a vital organ, if that means anything to you. So a vital organ, by designation, that's something that you need. It's essential for you to survive. So you can't live without a brain, or your lungs, or your heart. But you could, you could technically get by without a tongue. The tongue uh, might not be a vital organ for living, but may I suggest it is a vital organ for living in community. <laughs> And if you've ever had a speech impediment or, or you know someone who has one, uh, you'll know the frustrations of having a tongue that just, just doesn't work for speech. Because speech, it's the most powerful means of communication at our disposal. Uh, I wonder if you've had, uh, heard that expression, having, having a heart-to-heart -heart with somebody, right? A conversation. Um, I don't use the term often, but I like what it's getting at there. Because if you, if you really want to engage with a human deeply, it requires speech. You make yourself known, and they make themselves known by speech. Now, as the Lord Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you see what Jesus is saying there. When we, when we speak, we're broadcasting our inner self, right? And this broadcasting, it has an impact on the world. Our words matter. So think back to some of the most significant moments you can think of, some of the... Uh, Moments of the greatest elation, maybe some of the greatest frustration. Moments of, of clarity, moments of confusion. I would expect that words were either the cause of those highs and lows, or they, they played a very significant role in how you were able to process them. Maybe you can think of moments where you said something that you regretted, or maybe moments where you remained silent and you regretted remaining silent. And maybe even precious moments where you had exactly the right words for exactly the occasion, and it really blessed someone. Now, we're taught the power of the Bible in the first few pages. Think back to Genesis 1, and an entire cosmos is formed and filled by God's speaking. I think it's just an amazing thought, isn't it? Here's a void, and God speaks, and life 
emerges. God's speech builds. But on the very next page, we learn that another sort of speech exists, and it destroys. We had that reading earlier before from Genesis. Satan does his work by lying. Think back to that scene. The serpent, he didn't force feed Eve, did he, in that garden? A few flicks of his tongue were enough to see her taking and eating of her own accord. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Is that true? How did that work out? Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's what Jesus says of him. And deceit and death, they go hand in hand. And so you aren't even two or three pages into your Bible and you've seen that words are powerful, right? God's speech leads to life. Ungodly speech leads to death. Flip forward a few more pages, you get to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. You might be familiar with the story. And it starts this way. At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. Can you imagine that sort of world? Um, There was a, a guy who actually tried to develop that in the late 19th century, a language called Esperanto, you might have heard, in an attempt to develop a universal language to foster international harmony. I wonder what you think of that. We probably should have read Genesis 11, shouldn't he? Because when sinners have limitless collaboration, it just means limitless sin. Humanity, how do they collaborate? Well, they plot rebellion against a good God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And I think God's response in that story is just fascinating, right? This is what God says. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So early on, we learned that restraining sin, it means restraining sinful speech. God's speech has the power to build up. Ungodly speech has the power to tear down. And sinful speech needs to be restrained. And as we read on, we see the way forward for God's redeemed, saved humanity. Here's God's instruction to the Old Testament equivalent of the church in Deuteronomy 6. You'll see the words come up on the screen here. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So sinful speech, think about that story at Babel. God restrains sinful speech. But glorious, godly, faithful speech has to be unleashed in the mouths of the people of God. There is no limit. Speech has the power to build up. It also has the power to tear down. It needs to be restrained because of simple speech. We want life to flow as God's people. Godly speech, and that is speech that is shaped by God's speech, must flow abundantly. And so this is the framework um, as we enter this talk on respectable sins and neglected virtues. And the talk is going to be broken into two points, sort of one for each, if that makes sense. And my prayer for our time together has been that we begin to respect the power of this strange little muscle in our mouths, and we choose to wield that power gloriously. (laughs) So you'll see the points written on the handout um, if you're following along. Point one, you're a human, so shut up. It's pressing the pause button before we issue the speech that destroys. 
and you're a Christian, so speak up. Pressing the play button on the speech that builds up. And um, I've got to be honest, I, I sent my points off to be printed, and then when I saw them come back, I was like, oh my goodness, is that a bit strong? You're a human, so shut up. Can I say that? I, said, I don't think I've said that since I was maybe seven or eight years old to my little sister. And um, yeah, I don't think my mum would have had a bar of that. Um, but I don't think it's unnecessary offence. I think the scriptures are going to lead us there. And so let's just, if we get to the point, end of point one and you think I was too strong, you can tell me. Here's what the Apostle says, Apostle Paul um, of our mouths in Romans 3. This is on point one now. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So Paul, Paul knows we might say um, really beautiful, excellent things at times. We might praise God with our lips. But who here hasn't told a lie? Who here hasn't spoken harshly or, or grumbled? And so nobody can contend that they're righteous before God. And as Paul continues in verse 19, this is what he says. Every mouth should be shut and the whole world subject to God's judgment. So the tongue is here as, as proof that we're sinners. <laughs> we're not like Jesus, the one human without sin. That's why I put that um, sinful in brackets on point one, because Jesus is, uh, is a human who is without sin. It's our sinful humanity that is the problem. Because we, we hedge our bets between living for heaven and living for the world, don't we? We're caught between faithful and faithless living and I think Paul's saying, if you want proof, just, just listen to the things you say. Uh, that passage from James, um, that if you have it open, it'll be helpful, in chapter 3. It's often ta um, taught as you need to tame your tongue. And um, I think maybe the heading there might give you some hope that we can. I think it might say controlling the tongue. But James's point is actually none of us can. <laughs> uh, not perfectly, anyway. Look with me in verse 7. He writes, every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, when James is using the term man, he's not talking about gender. He's talking about a species, this sinful humanity. And here's James's point here. You know, we're so clever. We've, we've turned a, a, a wild horse into one that is tamed. You know, have you seen dressage, the way they're like, Trot, that's amazing. They jump things. That's cool. You know, seals, like balance balls on their noses. That's unreal. They can wrangle snakes and crocodiles. But you can't even wrangle your own tongue. <laughs> now, I'm not sure how many of us have um, ventured to the cinemas in this era of Barbieheimer, if that means anything, 21. Oppenheimer and Barbie in the movies at the same time. Big, big releases. I, I may have ventured. Was I underdressed from my fiancé? I won't say. I mean, I wouldn't have um, guessed that the, the Barbie movie would be the one of the two to generate more sort of cultural dialogue. Uh, yeah, more, more cultural dialogue than a film about a man who basically started the dawn of nuclear war. Uh, but that's the, that's the world we live in. Uh, but for those who have reflected on Oppenheimer's life, whether from the, the film or the books or like a Wikipedia page, I think it's natural to wonder Man, how would that have felt to be responsible for a weapon of mass destruction of such terrible power, you know, to be accountable for so much 
death and dismay. I think James would say to us, yeah, actually, you don't have to wonder. <laughs> Look with me in verse 5. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Uh, we, at the best of times, definitely at our worst, we have a very loose grip on our tongues. A harsh word, a thoughtless comment, a lie, a cruel joke, a misguided judgment, foolish opinion, it's, it's always at the ready. You know, we can always come up with that stuff. There's no shortage. <laughs> and I think, I think the most amazing thing is we sort of get surprised when someone gets offended at us, when we say something. You, you act all innocent, and you sort of blame the other person for being too sensitive. All while smoke pours from that flamethrower between your nose and your chin. What did James say there in verse 6? Our tongue pollutes the whole body. Sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. Destruction spreads like wildfire when, uh, not if, but when, we lose control. <laughs> and even a little muscle twitch can cause mass destruction. This is why James says, not many of you should be teachers. A word of gossip, a throwaway line, <laughs> and you can leave someone no longer a Christian. An unchecked tongue is a dangerous thing. And so why does James tell us this? We're being challenged on our double-mindedness, aren't we? You know, in verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father with our mouths and curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. You know, you're in the, you're in the car, you're driving, you're singing a Christian song, and then someone cuts you off and you insult them in the same breath. Like, isn't that inconsistent? And so by showing us that the outcome of an uncontrolled tongue leads to a fiery blaze, James is discipling us towards single-minded Christian speech. And so we want to guard our lips. Proverbs 13.3 says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. And watching your tongue, it's, it's a full-time job. Isn't it? I, I talked to Craig uh, Josling last week, and I was like, Craig, what should I say? He's like, we've always got to be on guard, don't we? We've always got to be on watch. And it's true. Um, there are times when we're more likely to say something that we're going to regret, and, and it's not that we will have to turn on the vigilance there. We'll have to be doubly vigilant, actually. When we're particularly stressed or sick or hungry or angry or lonely or tired. Now, if I'm any of those things, I just I make a mental note to myself, partly because I've done so much flame-throwing in the past, i got to say, Adriel, you're just going to have to watch your tongue very closely now, because <laughs> I know it's going to seem like a good idea to say something bad. But the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. You might have seen the um, title for this talk I put on the handout there, Pyromania and Prophecy. And um, I, I do intend for it to be more than just shameless alliteration, but let's see how far, how far we get. Now, what, what is pyromania? Here's, here's a definition. Pyromania is a psychological condition marked by an irresistible compulsion 
to intentionally ignite fires, often accompanied by a sense of satisfaction or relief without a clear motive. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I feel that compulsion when I speak sometimes. Maybe you do too. Why am I doing this? I think I feel it sort of here. It's like, uh, you know, I've got some, some edgy thought that I know is going to get a good reaction, or I've got like some, some witty comment that I know is a bit mean. You know, I, I want to weigh in on a contentious topic because I've got a, an opinion. You know, or I'm angry and I want to vent, I want to get something off my chest. Uh, yeah, do you guys feel that too? Am I the only one? <clears throat> if you don't, uh, praise the Lord. But I, I, I've spoken to some people and like, oh, wow, that, that, sounds like, that sounds exactly it, you know? But there's this moment of decision, isn't there, when you feel that feeling. You know, if it seems like it's going to feel really good to say this thing. Um, it's, it also seems like a really risky thing to do. And I think that's just a great moment to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> the best way to prevent a fire is just don't light the match. It's not worth it. Uh, there might be a backspace button before you send that email. Uh, there might be an unsend for the message you sent, if you're lucky, if they haven't seen it just yet. But there's no rewind button for foolish talk. You can't get down on your hands and knees and pick up the words and put them back in your mouth. You can't put fire back into the matchbox. The damage is done. Yeah, I was thinking about what, what specific areas we could talk about when it comes to speech. And I thought we'd just do one as a bit of a case study, and some of the principles might apply more broadly um, by thinking about gossip. Um, only because I think it can sort of fly under the radar and it can be a bit ambiguous at times, and so it can be somewhat a respectable sin, if you get my drift. And I think there is something about gossip that slips past our security system. Have a, have a look at this line from Proverbs. The gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. Now, this isn't endorsing gossip. It's not saying it's good. It's saying it's delicious, right? Like, it's, it's hard to resist, it's tempting, and it shapes us. Like it, it goes right into you. Sometimes you digest um, gossip really before you've even weighed it up. That's how, how, how powerful it is. And yet you don't know the difference between fact and fiction by the time you've heard it. And so I think we want to be a dead end for that sort of talk when we hear it. If it's um, an uncharitable word we're hearing about someone secondhand, or if it's information that you, you yourself wouldn't want to be shared if it was yours, uh, get your firewall up and be discerning, and, and don't be another link in that chain. Now, personally, this is me, I, I think I want to exert a bit of pressure back up that chain, if that makes sense, and just say, what's, what's going on here? Because a lot of gossip happens when we sort of care about someone else's life, without actually caring about that person, if that makes sense. But you wouldn't share that piece of information if you actually cared about them. Church is a beautiful place, isn't it? It's a beautiful place. I think it works on the basis of being actually able to be vulnerable and share what's going on with the confidence that you're not going to have that information exploited. And I think that just means yeah, we need to have the ability to guard our lips and be loving and wise with the information that we hear. Proverbs 20, uh, 19 says, The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. 
For some people, a gossip is, is a habit. It's a sport. And for your sake and others, you know, while graciously offering correction, I think you want to be wise about how much influence you give that person in your life. I think that's what that proverb's getting at. So we could say much more, but I think at this point, let's draw things uh, together more generally on, on point one. If you plan to destroy the church, you know what to do now. Speak thoughtlessly, at gossip, slander your brothers and sisters, speak harshly and recklessly to those around you, you know, wave your mouth around like it's a rifle without the safety on. But bear in mind Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. But for those of us who love Christ's body and wanted to see it grow and flourish and be guarded, far be it for us to be its arsonists. Guard your lips and so guard the church. You're a human, so shut up. And more briefly, but just as crucially, you're a Christian, so speak up. This is the second point uh, that we're working through, and if you've tuned out, here's a good chance to tune back in, because it is an exciting thought, isn't it? That would be a huge misstep if at this point um, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I just need to take a vow of silence now, I need to be a hermit, and just never speak again. Because <laughs> that couldn't be further from what the Bible says to us. Because the tongue, this tool that we so often use for destruction, it's the very tool that God has given us for construction. I've been looking at um, power tools recently for a carpentry project. I keep on asking Rick Vance about power tools, and I'm not sure which ones to buy. And uh, I'm not sure if any of you have ever shopped for like a circular saw. These things are like ferocious. They look terrifying. And when I look at them, I'm sort of caught between visions of all the things I want to make and, and visions of me, like, accidentally sawing my hands off. <laughs> we need to respect uh, powerful tools, don't we? And the human tongue, I want to say, it's something like a power tool from God. It can do a lot quickly. <laughs> and if you leave that tool running uh, like an unsupervised circular saw, I think you can expect a bad outcome. But if you respect that power and you apply it in just the right ways, you can really build something amazing. Uh, we saw back in Romans 3 how Paul spoke about our mouths, and, and it wasn't pretty. But look at how the gospel changes things in Romans 6. If we have the slides up. Thank you so much. This is what it says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. <laughs> and do you see what Paul's saying here? A Christian who is raised with Christ, they're dead to sin, they're no longer enslaved to it. And so this thing that we used to use as a weapon for destruction, for violence, actually we can use that for righteousness, for building. That same mouth that could only curse others and dishonor God, actually now we can really bless others and praise God from the heart. That mouth that only knew how to spit venom with its words, 
Now we can actually speak an antidote. <laughs> we can offer healing. That same mouth that was an open grave, something of a death trap to those who would hear it. We can use that same mouth to offer the words of life. And perhaps thinking about the imagery from James, the same mouth that used to just, just spit flames, maybe knows how to extinguish them now. <laughs> and here's the implication. Uh, now that we're alive, we can, we can truly listen to God. And so we can speak words from the heart that are shaped by God's words and lead to life. Words fueled by his word and his spirit. Words that build up the people of God. And I think that focus on building is, is driving what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29. You'll see the verse come up here. This is what he says. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. I think that, that emphasis there is kind of interesting. That word only, only what is good for building up someone in need. And um, you could take it, I think the risk here, you could take it in this way. You say, oh, okay. Well, this now just applies to like the 20% of my speech where I'm sharing the gospel or evangelizing or, or, or encouraging a Christian, I should say. And so Paul doesn't want me to say anything else. So I basically just have to say 20% of what I usually would. And I can't talk about uh, work now or like the Barbie movie or carpentry, you know. <laughs> but I think Paul's talking about all of our speech, actually. 100% of our speech can be salty and uh, demonstrate our covenant faithfulness to God. It can reflect a Christian heart and Christ-like priorities. It can all be godly and wise and loving. If you think about a Christian who uh, you know and you really respect, and they just strengthen you, I think it's, you, if you think about this speech, it's going to be saturated in Bible, um, but it's also just going to be presently speaking, strengthening you with a godly perspective on things. And we, like them, need to take up our tongues as weapons of righteousness. Every Christian has something of a prophetic role. P, that's the second P on the handout there. We got there in the end. And by prophetic, um, I don't mean coming up with new scripture or having um, some sort of predictions or something like that. But, but truly knowing God in Christ, speaking with speech shaped by the word of God and living by it, breathing life into the world, through speech shaped by God's speech. Uh, Paul describes himself as an ambassador to Christ. And I think that ambassador language is, is really useful for thinking about our place in the world. We are under Christ's authority, and we represent him to those around us. And so the things that we say and the things that we do, actually they're going to impact people's understanding of who Jesus is. That's inside and outside the church. So people are going to know Christ's love partly with how we love them, how we speak to them. And so we want to honour him by representing him faithfully. And I wonder how that might change um, some of the conversations that you have, a difficult conversation at work, a tricky family disagreement, a moment where someone's harmed you or sinned against you, or maybe when you've sinned against them. How can you bring peace and clarity and restoration of order to chaos in those moments with the tongue that God has given you, with the words that God has given you. It takes wisdom and love, uh, which we're growing in, and it takes a servant heart. Uh, while that Ephesians passage is up there, I thought we'd just revisit it. So Paul's talking about foul language, 
And um, I thought it'd be useful just to talk about that, because it, it sort of gets to the principle at hand here. So I, I'm not sure where your mind went when you hear no foul language to come to your mouth. For me, I start sort of like mentally compiling a list of all the words that I think are sort of blacklisted, you know, inbounds or out of bounds. I'm like, oh, okay, I can't say those anymore. And you can't, you can't really, right? So even if we ask Paul, hey, Paul, what's the list? He'd probably give us a list in, I don't know, Greek or Hebrew or something. That wouldn't be very useful. He certainly wouldn't know the, the sort of English uh, language that we, we are familiar with. And so wouldn't it be foolish if we thought, okay, we've got this list. Let's just say we have a list of English words that we think are, are, are crude or foolish or foul. Wouldn't it be foolish to think if you, if you simply managed to avoid using those words that suddenly you'd be an excellent ambassador to Jesus. No, I think Paul's saying that you've got to think the other way around, right? So Paul wants us to think about what's going to build that person up. And that might mean being even more selective with your words, right? So I think we need to shift our, our perspective from the framework of insisting on our own freedoms and rights to say what we want and and really come up with a framework that insists on the benefit of our hearers, what's appropriate for their needs. Um, here's a passage from 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul talks about the freedom that a Christian has. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything's helpful. <laughs> everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So if, if what I'm going to say is sort of permissible in, in my book, uh, but it's going to cause unnecessary offense to that person. If my words have the potential to misrepresent God to this person, I don't want to say them, even if I sort of can. It's a question of love, isn't it? It's a question of love. The Corinthian church is so full of knowledge, but without the love required to actually use that well, as Paul says back in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Trying to defend your unloving speech by using your Christian knowledge, it's a paradox. It doesn't work. A Christian just can't. You revoked the right when you became a servant of Christ. So just a final thought um, as we close. Sometimes our efforts um, to build up with our speech, they don't always end up building up. I'm sure you've had that experience um, where you, if you thought, oh, this is an excellent thing to say, and actually you don't get the response that you would have expected. Um, here's, here's a proverb that I think illustrates this in quite hilarious fashion, I think. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. <laughs> I mean, if you're not a morning person, I think you're gonna be like, yeah, that's my memory verse for today. Um, isn't it just so relatable, right? There can be a huge difference, an entire gulf between what we intend with our words and how they're received by someone. And I'm sure we've been on both, both ends of that. And so it's going to happen that we light a fire unintentionally, if you will. You say something and you mean well, and then you sort of see wisps of smoke coming off that person. And even though you did everything to avoid it, I think in that moment, you don't want to insist on your rights. <laughs> you want to be curious and not furious. You want to apologize if you need to um, and learn a bit more about what is required to, to build this person up in front of you.
And you might be able to put that fire out. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we pray for servant hearts that are filled with your words that speak forth as faithful servants. You've given us this powerful tool to use, and we pray that we would be trustworthy ambassadors of your Son with it. And so may destructive speech be restrained in our mouths, but the speech that builds up your church flow abundantly. For your glory and for our good, we pray. Amen.